Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Risky Behavior, where no subject is off limits. Sit back, tune in, and enjoy a beverage with us as we explore controversial issues and answer your health and wellness-related concerns, ranging from nutrition and exercise to sex and prescription drugs. I'm here with co-host Dr. Shetha Chakraborty, who's a national media risk expert, as seen on CNN, the BBC, Fox News, and more. But don't just think this hour is all science as usual. After four seasons as a regular guest and food scientist on The Dr. Oz Show, Dr. Taylor Wallace, who the Huffington Post calls the nation's premier food and nutrition guru, will help me loosen lips and spill tea with special guests that you won't want to miss. So like most of you all around here, we're quarantined and we don't have a studio. So we're coming to you on Instagram Live. We're trying this out for the first time. And uh, Shetha has been talking a lot about coronavirus this week. She was just on MSNBC. Uh, She's going back on tomorrow. You've been on Global China Network. You've been just about on every radio station that I've seen, girl. Like, you've been busy. All I'm trying to do is, like, like insert a little bit of sanity and science into this narrative that has been plaguing the world for the last couple of weeks. We make it seem like this is so set in stone and that the what we're doing in terms of social distancing is accurate and evidence-based and universally should be applied. I'm here to tell you that that's not exactly accurate. Not that you shouldn't socially distance. Don't don't use us as an example, but don't believe the con with the confidence that that is definitely the way to mo- be. Okay, well, I'm really going to I'm really excited to talk to you about this because I am one of those like food science nutrition consumers I don't know shit about this. So, like, I'm interested because, like, I've been in the house for six days. Like, I literally have, like, I came in on Saturday night and I left um, to come over here to film this show today. And so I haven't even been outside of my door to take my trash out because, like, of everything that you're seeing on TV. Like, what the hell? Right. And then <laughs> and then I kind of want to say the same thing, but also I'm doing a lot of TV, so I don't want to turn people off to seeing me and hearing what I have to say. But ultimately, we're... The guidelines from the CDC aren't that you need to stay home for like because of no reason unless you have symptoms, right? So if you are, whether you know you have COVID-19 or not, if you aren't exhibiting symptoms, there's nothing federally saying that you need to stay home. <laughs> it's the kind of thing that's just not funny um, in, in these days and times. <laughs> um, but no, really, guys, like there's nothing that says you don't, now at the state level and local level, they're making they're taking even more extreme precautions than, than what we're getting from the federal government. And I'm not saying don't adhere. We need people to comply because that's the only way we're gonna see any benefit. If there's any benefit to this, the only way we're gonna see it is if people comply. So comply. Okay, so people like you and me, like we're not high risk. I haven't been socializing all week. Um, but older people and people with infants, young children, they should probably steer clear, right? I mean, even if they don't show signs and symptoms, they need to be a little bit more precautious. Right. And so this is the terminology that the UK government initially for a while, a bunch of modelers put in assumptions into a model with the literally worst case, worst case assumptions you can make and came up with numbers that are really terrifying. And so... If you see numbers like that, then you are going to respond in a way that is going to be potentially an overreaction to the reality of the risk. Because the spectrum of something really affecting us as a virus is from 
it varies. You can put in the best case scenarios and the worst case scenarios. And right now, we as a global populace are operating on the worst case scenarios. That being said, for vulnerable populations, 100%, the strategy should be to for you to protect yourself in the way anyone else would, but also for the government to, um, to cocoon vulnerable populations. So those who are vulnerable, let's come up with policies for them. But it should not be disrupting our lives the way it is. There's ripple effects to this. You know, I drink enough wine, honey. I think it's just going to get rid of it. You know, no, wine will not like get rid of your coronavirus or prevent you from getting it. It actually uh, downs your immune system. So <laughs> you shouldn't drink a lot and go out and make contact with people if you're going to make contact. Um, kind of like what I'm doing right now. Um, I see a bunch of people are following you. us on Instagram Live. So if you all have specific questions, uh, send us a question and we'll answer it through the show. You can uh, hashtag us at Risky Behavior DC. Uh, we hope you share the Instagram Live. But I wanted to mention also like something that's scary to me. Um, so Johns Hopkins University, um, there's a professor and a graduate student that created kind of this interactive like bubble map. You can like look it up, but you can see like where all the bubbles are um, with the coronavirus like worldwide. And you see it's really concentrated in Europe. It's uh, just started to become an issue in the US. China, it's kind of dying down, right? I mean. Yeah, so this like a virus has a life cycle like anything does. And we, we call that the curve. And you've been hearing a lot in the news about flattening this curve. And the idea is that when a virus is infecting, it hits peak transmission. And we want to reduce that peak transmission so that ultimately we don't overwhelm the public health care structures across the world. In right. the United States, we're better prepared. We have better primary health care structures. Places like India or Africa, the last thing you want is like huge amounts of people coming in with the right. same needs of critical care right. at the same time. Because they're not just, they don't have like the protective equipment that we have. I mean, we're having this huge issue of like face masks and gloves yeah. and things like that because people like you and I are going out and buying them all and then, you know, they're not available to healthcare workers. Well, think about it. We're struggling. The U.S. is the best public healthcare system, primary healthcare system in the world. And the U.S. has found itself like outside naked in this situation. Like they're, we're struggling. We don't have everything that we need given okay. the worst case scenario. Let's say everybody ends up at the hospital at the same time. Okay, so like I said, I'm relatively like naive to a lot of this. Um, you've been studying it all week because you've been on national TV over and over with it. I'm, I don't think a lot of people realize like when we go on these national TV shows, we put hours into making sure that we're accurate and, and correct. Nothing is worse than being called out, saying something incorrect, and then being told right. that you were wrong on national television. That's the end of your career. So, yeah, we're careful about that. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I just I'm trying to get my gra grasp around this. Um Okay, from a food standpoint, um, we're seeing that people like are just going to grocery stores and uh, convenience stores, you know, they're buying up all the toilet paper. You can't find Purell to save your damn life in DC. Um, and, you know, I, I want to address it from a food supply chain issue because a lot of people have sent me questions online about that. Um, things that we import from China, they're mostly dry ingredients. So we, for instance, like Purell hand sanitizer, a lot of those types of products are cheap to make. So it's outsourced to China. And that's why you don't see a lot of Purell around because we can't just make a lot of it and get it, you know, over, you know, get it distributed th that quickly. Um, food is kind of the same way. So if you take things like fruits, vegetables, perishable 
uh, items like meat, uh, eggs, things like that, we're not really at a risk for a huge shortage. You might not get your favorite food, but you know, like pizzas and microwavable stuff and processed foods, you know, obviously the more safe things to pick, but um, they're not gonna go anywhere anytime soon. So you don't have to panic uh, on a food side. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> I think, so, okay, as a, this is where our, our expertise is really well um, aligned, right? So I think people are massively overreacting and it's because here is a novel risk that has emerged. This ticks off every box in our brains in terms of why we perceive and attribute higher frequency and probability to risk despite the reality of that risk. COVID-19. So explain social <laughs> amplification yes. like to the audience yeah. because you were talking about this before the show and I thought it was actually really fascinating and you're a behavior scientist by training. Yeah. I think it's, it's a really good point. So I really want to ask people to think about why we are reacting to this risk the way we are versus other risks that kill more people every year. Let's talk about America and Americans for a second. There are disease states that consistently yearly kill people in the tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands. And we don't throw everything in the kitchen sink to save those people from dying, despite the fact that we know those interventions could very well save lives. Why are we doing that for worst case scenario? Again, if the mortality rate is the worst case scenario, I appreciate that we're talking about hundreds of thousands of Americans killed. Let's say more realistically, it's on the lower side. Now we're talking about thousands or tens of thousands killed, which on the ranking of risks is still massively low for what kills Americans. So why are we overreacting to this versus other things that kill us? Here's why, right? Is because it is novel. It impacts the elderly. It is potentially endemic. It has catastrophic potential. It has exceptional fear and dread. These are all triggers in our brain because of how our brains are wired that we are reacting and it's involuntary. So we're being exposed to it against our will, which is unlike getting in a car and driving it despite that risk being really high. So I want to give out a couple of statistics and then I have, I'm going to go even more controversial. Okay, so statistics to date, there have been 11,299 deaths worldwide. Uh, obviously, 4,000 of those deaths have been in Italy. Um, you know, there are 272,351 uh, cases, and this is all according to uh, Johns Hopkins University, uh, that have been diagnosed Science worldwide. first. And, you know, obviously, um, uh, 47,000 in Italy and 81,000 in, in China. Okay, so there are your statistics. So you started the kind of overpopulation thing, and you know, I've been kind of talking about this for a while. Okay, pandemics, overpopulation, <laughs> Natural right? selection. Natural selection, it happens. Like, we've been he saying said that, this, not I me. think, well, I mean, hey, I said this like four months ago on one of our uh, radio shows that we were on, where I was saying, you know, the problem, and we were talking about it from a food supply chain issue, but I'm saying the problem is, is that there's too many of us. And we're living, we're, as the metropolitan areas grow, we're all living closer together. And it's kind of asking for a pandemic, don't you think? Oh I yeah, mean, so 100%. So just to tie up the last thought, and then I'll address this. When we feel that something is out of our control, we exert control. And that's why you're seeing people like panic and buy up toilet paper and food supplies. I'm carrying around Clorox wipes. I'm not gonna yeah, lie to y'all. So like I walked over here with a bag of like Clorox wipes that are sitting over on the counter. <laughs> it's a sense of control, right? So that's what people do there. Now, in terms of um, 
why this has emerged from human behavior, it's exactly an, a good example of what we were just talking about. Like human behavior is fascinating and it's complex. And the reason we need to re-exert control is to feel that we are dominating the situation in the same way we have been trying to dominate our environment. And so you have people that think we have masses amounts of people and we have a warming planet. And we think that we deserve or have some control over the natural environment. I don't know where that comes from, except from like the Well, you know, they teach us as scientists that natural selection always well, so, wins, basically. But, yeah, so, okay. And th there's soon to be 11 billion of us on this earth. I mean, and I think it's gonna be an issue you know, from a number of angles. Taylor's getting real controversial or, real fast. I mean, I was hey, gonna... <laughs> you know, it's true. I mean, eventually we're just going to have to tackle the real this issue. Is, it's like not... This is what's it's five days AOC's, of like... Well, it's not AOC's cows farting all the time, <laughs> which they don't really fart methane gas, they burp. Uh, but, you know, it's not... That's not really the issue at hand. It's that there's so many of us and we all have a protein requirement and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And technology is going to take us a lot of places, I think. But, you know, overpopulation is an issue. Okay, so I agree with that. How we have a lot of this from happening again. I mean, we don't in that sense, unless we learn from so we haven't learned from swine flu or SARS or Ebola, everything that we were talking about post those diseases, we're still talking about now, which means it's really sad that we haven't figured this out. Here's what's interesting. We have too many people on the planet. We have certain parts of the world that have more animals that um, uniquely have viruses in them rather than other parts of the world. Bats exist everywhere, but the particular type of bat that has the virus in their microbiome in Southeast Asia is an interaction with that bat is what's resulted in this virus getting out, right? We know that to be true. And it's wildlife trade and it's it's food habits. It's interacting with these animals for the purpose of consuming them or and or using them for other things. So we have we have to realize that like not everywhere is equal in terms of ecosystems, but we know that there is an increased population issue across the world. When you have too many people in differing ecosystems interacting with these animals, it's bound we're creating like breeding grounds for these viruses to emerge and to persist. That's what's happened here. Okay, we've got a few questions coming in from the audience. Uh, the first one, Jeff asks, is this a seasonal thing? And I'm worried about this too, uh, because I have a 1200 person clinical study in Guatemala that just got delayed like almost indefinitely because food prices have gone up and you can't randomize families to food, no food, that's unethical. And it's just become a mess in Guatemala. Um, is this a seasonal thing? Like how long is this gonna last? When, when is this gonna be over? So the coronavirus is a different class of virus from influenza and influenza is seasonal. And we do expect to see an uptick in the colder months and it disappears a bit in the warmer months. And we think that has to do with human interaction. So people are less likely to be confined in areas where they're, where transmission happens easier. In the case of coronavirus, we don't know. And there's, an, there's a possibility that it's going to be similar to influenza, but there's also a possibility, quite frankly, that it just becomes endemic and it stays with us. And think about examples of that. We now have... Um, HIV AIDS that just exists with us. We didn't get rid of it. We got a handle on it, but it is something that just we coexist with. This most likely is going down the track of a virus that we learn to live with and that we keep at bay through vaccines and decreasing the susceptibility of the population. 
Okay, so other questions. We've got yeah. a lot of questions coming in. I'm trying to write them down like as you answer right. because you're more <laughs> informed about this than I am. And I'm not a medical doctor. <laughs> Don't ask me any anything specific about your... I keep getting asked about like, oh, but I have this disease state and that disease state and allergies. And I'm like, honey, the only thing I can answer is I also have allergies and it sucks. Sneezing is not a symptom or a oh. sign of COVID-19. I promise you. So the boy, the boy formidable just asked, has COVID-19 slowed anthropogenic factors, uh, climate warming at all. Yeah. So ultimately, so there's two things here is how is climate change and infectious disease related in terms of like Ooh, how they, how they relate to each other. Yeah. Um, and then also if we've just turned off the world kind of a little bit, like we've done, has that slowed climate change and the speed in which we've been consuming it's, we don't know yet. Is that, let me start with the latter. We don't know yet. We're going to see whether or not, um, the reduction in travel and consumption and all of it actually mm -hmm. is offset also because a lot more people are demanding delivery. Yeah. People aren't flying, but there's a lot of delivery that's Oh, been that's key. true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we don't... And the lights are on all day at my house because... Like I'm working all day. Yeah. Or so watching TV. we don't know that yet. I think it probably will have a positive net benefit on um, on global consumption and ultimately carbon emissions that come from energy consumption, right? So I think we will see that, and that'll be really interesting. It's like a global reset almost. This is like gonna allow us to rethink how much we consume or need to consume, and then what that means for how we think about living more normally on a planet that's warmer and resource drained, you know? Right. So I think that's interesting. In terms of climate change causing this type of infectious disease, um, there's a relationship between the planet warming and increased disease outbreaks. We know from, I'm part of Eco Health Alliance's leadership council and the surveillance that's done when nobody cares about any of this, when it's quiet, when no disease is out there, Nobody cares. It's the same way nobody cares to yeah. take your... People are telling you to take the flu vaccine and you're not taking it because you're complacent. That's what I we I get do. my flu shot every Good. year. I'm kind of a germaphobe. Yeah, your so. flu shot. But ultimately, shot. people... If, the, if people, the coronavirus vaccine comes out, get it too. Yes, <laughs> it'll come out. We just don't know if, like how effective it will be. At some point, even if it's not effective, somebody's going to be like, there's a vaccine, it's out, it's effective, and everyone's going to be like, yay, and go back to normal. I do have one other topic that I want to get into because, you know... I'm very bipartisan, so I want to talk about our lame duck president. Uh -huh. um, and, okay, could we have been more prepared? I mean, a lot of people have been talking about this. Um, is this a thing? Like, you know, some people are saying he's, you know, been racist because he's cutting off travel to certain countries. Now they're saying it was a good thing. Could we have done something earlier? Should we have done something earlier? Okay, um, so... What's the deal? Okay, so firstly... People are working full-time, unacknowledged, on the grounds, in Senegal, in Cameroon, in China, like provinces we've never heard of. I know we're most of us have just heard of Wuhan, but there's other places. Oh, hi, fair. <laughs> <laughs> there's places we've never heard of that we have epidemiologists who are going into bat caves, like the real-life freaking... Um, we got Ecuador joining us here, by the way. <laughs> hi. No, uh, um, what, what's, who's that guy? Indiana Jones. We have like Indiana Jones type people that go into bat caves and are literally looking at the potential for viruses. to into bat caves. Yeah, they're literally looking at oh. zoonotic disease transfer. Um, and Girl, whether... I was just in Mexico and I went into a cenote. There's this those is little caves underwater. And a bat flew out at me. Girl, I thought I was going to run out of that place. Yeah, like there's... there's the, we have an entire network around the world that's keeping eyes on hotspots, right? To see where the zoonotic disease transfer can happen. It can come from a civet cat. It can come from a camel, which is what happened with mares. It can come from monkeys, which is what happened with HIV. Like we know that these diseases come from 
animals, okay? Zoonotic disease transfer. Now, to call it like the Chinese disease is so obnoxious because it could happen anywhere in the world. Why would we point that out aside from trying to propagate xenophobia and racism? Because ultimately it can pop up anywhere. And what you end up doing and what our lame duck president has ended up doing is identifying a population of people with some with bad behavior and bad habits. To be fair, it's bad behavior and bad habits, but it, we don't need to call out Chinese practices because equally we've had right. that across so many cultures and so many situations. We need to rethink of how we think about our interaction with animals and ecosystems because we don't have the luxury of being like, oh, we are the dominant species and we own you bat, we own you camel. No, they have their entire own ecosystems that existed way well before us that are like, no, fuck you humans. Not only are we gonna like get out, we're gonna mutate and we're gonna create like a such a problem for you that we're gonna throw a trillion dollars and completely destroy your economy and your livelihoods. So let's take a little respect for the viruses that have been around for longer than we have and let them stay there. Let's not mess with bats and cut them up and trade them and eat them because we don't need to expose these viruses to the world. And that's what happened here. <laughs> I'm not trying to eat a bat anytime soon. You're preaching to the choir. <laughs> I won't even get around one in a cave in Mexico. I mean, and you know those little fruit bats, they don't even bite. And I'm like sitting there trying to take pictures and it flies out at me. I ran away from it. So now we've like let this virus out, right? Into the population and it's making its way from country to country. And it might like other viruses just finally die out because ultimately if you're too, uh, if you're too much of a killer of your host, then who are you going to, move to, right? And that's what happened with Ebola. That's what happened with SARS. They were too deadly to survive. So there needs to be that sweet spot between infecting your host and also them being healthy enough to be able to be passed on and continue to survive. That's what's scary about this COVID-19 is that it's highly transmissible and it doesn't kill everyone. So it continues to just like persist. But we haven't not seen this before. That's influenza. That's swine flu. That's Every year we get the seasonal flu. It's it's a very similar kind of concept. We're gonna, we've released this virus now into the world. That was our fault. So we need to stop saying we're at war. They didn't want war. They should be pissed at us. The coronavirus <laughs> should be mad at us. Like, why didn't you leave me alone? <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, you know, coronaviruses are actually very common. This one is yeah. not, but there are actually thousands of coronaviruses. Um, that are harmless. Right, but these are single-celled or very like yeah. very um, simplistic organisms, so it's easy for them to manipulate, uh, to, to mutate. Whereas us humans, we're not gonna turn into X-Men anytime soon because we are very complex. Okay, but I'm just gonna tell y'all this, like if you all are freaked out about this shit, do not watch Contagion. If you all remember, like, about a decade ago. Oh, that's a real movie. Oh, it's a real movie. I yeah. read the book in high school, and then the movie came out about 10 years ago, and I watched it. And I kind of was, like, last night, like, my old roommate texted it to me and was like, have you seen this video? And I, like, watched it again, and I'm like, oh, girl. <laughs> okay, Contagion, you guys, was based on the worst-case scenario of a worst-case situation. It's not fantasy. It's not Hollywood. It could really happen. This COVID-19 is not disease X. So that movie was featuring disease X, which epidemiologists and infectious disease experts are really worried about that, that lethal combination of a disease that's highly transmissible like this, like COVID-19 or like a swine flu, like a influenza virus that also is lethal. That combination will result in, and that's what this isn't that we need well, to keep in mind, martial law lockdown, where we literally, that's it, we're home and 
we're done. That's You're not going to go out. We're like that in DC anyway. Not really, because people are still going outside because nobody's that scared. Think about it, right? If you were that scared, I mean, if, that been in six days. but no. if you thought you were going to go outside and start to melt, if you thought this was a bioterrorist attack or something that was going to make you like bleed out of your eyes, would you go outside? People no, are, but I haven't gone outside scared. anyway. I'm not trying to get this shit. I mean, <laughs> he's, he's at risk right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, we're not taking this lightly. My point is, is you can convince people to comply to severe social distancing measures if they're not scared enough. And ultimately, this isn't a scary enough disease to make people really listen to their local governments, which is a shame because we're going to end up finding that there was no real benefit to destroying people's lives and lives, livelihoods at the at the winning of like saving maybe 100,000 something lives. I'm not trying to be insensitive here, but how much are we paying per life saved? What, like $10 million? Shit, I will just die. <laughs> I would love to get $100 million in my bank account if that's how much we're paying per life saved. I know that's controversial, but it's true. Why aren't you staying home? You're not staying home because you're not really that scared. That is so off-brand. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to wrap things up in just a few minutes. So if you have any questions, make sure to um, send them over to us um, and we will um, we'll get them answered. Oh, I have so much more to say, though. Oh, we'll say keep going. <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, it's just disrupted everybody's lives. I mean, yeah. you know, my research is like shit now. I mean, I'm not even really allowed to go back on campus right now. My classes have been moved to uh, completely uh, webcast. So that was a little bit of an extra burden. Um, so my students are out for the rest of the semester. They're taking all their classes online. Um, they've been offered their tuition back. Um, they're dropping class and left and right. So, I mean... Man, if this is overkill, I mean, this is overkill. Really, okay. Really. So let's say we are COVID nineteen. Let's say worst case scenario, worst case kills close to a million, infects close to a million people. Okay, based on the um, worst case transmissibility rates that we have. So are we willing to throw everything without any real evidence about whether or not these combinations of measures work and add much benefit? Should we do that and disrupt everybody's socioeconomic situation? And what about the mental health implications? You're asking people to stay home for I've prolonged- I've never felt better because now I'm over here. You're the first person I've seen in six days. Yeah, but not everybody, has that, not everybody has that luxury. And we have 40,000 suicides in the U.S. annually. We actually, we, I want to get to everybody's questions because we yeah. have a couple more questions coming in. The next one is- um, what are, if any, some of the silver linings at, that result from this whole coronavirus shit? Like, I have the same question. I'm like, maybe this is a wake-up call. Like, that's kind of where I was going with um, the whole question on overpopulation. What's the answer? No, I definitely think, okay, so I think where you were going with that could be really controversial. This is self-selection and just taking out <laughs> the weak and vulnerable. <laughs> no, we're not saying that. We yeah. love our parents and our grandparents, and we're not saying that this should... This should kill anyone. We should build capacity to protect those that well, require critical care. It's also going to be a long time before a vaccine comes out. I think a that, year to year and know, a half Trump at least. Yeah, was like you know insinuating that we were on the brink of something the other day in his press release. Um, we're not. Yeah, uh, and no, numerous scientists from various fields uh, across the globe have said that. I mean, vaccines take a lot time. to develop. You have to go through their and you phases. have to go through the safety reviews. I mean, Efficacy, you just tolerability. Wanna, yeah, so it cures like. You know, it prevents you from getting coronavirus, but does it do something else that's even more harmful to the individual? Let's talk about mortality yeah. rates. Like, mortality rate, 
isn't very high with the coronavirus. Like if you talk, think about that movie I was talking about, Contagion, um, the mortality rate's super high, right? But with coronavirus, it's rather low, very comparable to the flu in Western countries. Obviously, like you said at the beginning of the show, in China, um, places that are less developed, they don't have as adequate of healthcare systems. Uh, and so... Let's end this with mortality rates and talk about mortality rates. Yeah, so let's end it with that. So I think the mortality rate will go down as, as we test, and that's been the biggest um, shit show is rolling out the diagnostics that we need because that information is power and it gives us some insight and some light into what to do and how to handle it. So we have no idea. We're just shooting in the dark and we're throwing everything in the kitchen sink into solving this problem. So the mortality rate, I am pretty confident, as is the data coming out of South Korea that will go down. So this will be worse worse than flu, maybe equivalent to flu or slightly worse than flu. So I want that to be the silver lining in this is we are definitely seeing the worst case scenarios and the reality is much, much closer to not as bad as we think. Ebola initially thought was gonna infect 1.5 million people in Africa. It ended up being 25,000. Initial models are always way over. The reality of the truth okay so i want people to know that and also let's think of this as a global reset we are going to take right. some time to realize that wait we don't need to eat and consume and travel and fly and do everything that we've gotten very accustomed to as a global populace let's take a step back and be like wait we can just be and give our planet a chance to recover well, like the dolphins in italy and i actually heard on the news um i heard on the news uh earlier that oh my god i totally forgot this i had too much wine like this, is, gone, this is why we need to be in the studio we've gone over time like and Brent, our producer's not here <laughs> brandon <laughs> help <laughs> so this, this, um, oh my god he literally just was like turn it off oh, <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> okay well we'll go on and end it today hey for those of you all who joined us uh online on instagram uh thank you so much that's a wrap for today have ideas for the show tweet us at dr taylor wallace that's d-r-t-a-y-l-o-r-w-a-l-l-a-c-e and at shetha c that's s-w-e-t-a-c thank you for tuning in to risky behavior until next time.